Good morning, Christ's Covenant. Um, my name is Abby Montgomery, and I invite you at this time to find your copy of God's Word as we read together. Um, this morning's reading comes from Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 8. Read this with me. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the, the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. It's exciting to uh, to be with you, church. I apologize. I don't think I have a microphone on. We'll take two. It's exciting to be with you this morning, Christ Covenant. Uh, it's really, uh, really cool to start a new year in a new place. Heather and I are super grateful to be here with you. Who would have thought, uh, as we round, rounded out 2020, our uh, what our time capsules might look like? I put together my 2020 time capsule a few of my favorite things, my Christ Covenant mask, my hand sanitizer, and of course, the once very hard to find roll of TP. You know, I mean, what a year. What a, what a crazy year. I'm going to put this over here so it's a little out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I was thinking back to, uh, to the way this year uh, started compared to how it concluded. And I think one word to describe 2020 would be uh, divisive. I mean, I have seen so much division, and I know you've seen so much division. I heard the other day about a, a men's group of, uh, of strong believers that's been getting together, their leaders in their churches and communities, been getting together for 17 years. 
that as 2020 began to conclude, they were on the verge of breaking up because of their political differences. And I think what we want to see in 2021 is we want the world to change. Everybody wants the world to change. People's campaigns have been run on 2021. That's when the, we're going to make a difference and the world's going to change. And I think as Christians, we too want the world to change. I mean, I think even as a, as New Year's came and 2020 just seemed to to drag on and we looked back on 2020 and we thought, well, she she wasn't quite what we thought she was. I think we're saying, what's what can we do? What can we do different? What can we what can we see the Lord do? What can we help him usher in that's going to result truly in change and not just uh, not just a man made kind of change? That's why I love this passage and really this new series that we are a part of you, uh, you're going to get a copy of this little card. I think it's going to be up on your screen now, but we're in starting a new series on gospel kingdom mission, which is really what we are about at Christ covenant next week. Jason's going to teach on gospel, which is really the cornerstone of who we are as believers as uh, of who we are as a church. And this week, if you look in the in the upper right-hand uh, section, you're going to see it says kingdom in the middle, and it goes from kingdom family to kingdom ambassadors. And then on the outskirts of that, support the church, join a group, table talk. I think another maybe way to to call what we're going to look at today, this kingdom side of things, I'm just going to give it a, a different term, but not a, not a substitutionary term, but just a different term, relational discipleship. That's what I want us to look at. And that's what this passage that Abby just read is really about. So let's dig in. It's a full passage with really three movements. You've got a call to elders, and then you've got a call to rebuke some of the folks that are disturbing the church within the church. And then you get the call for relational discipleship. And they actually all three connect together. So let's take a look. This is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul talking to Titus, saying, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer is God's steward. He must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard, or violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, I'm not going to go into a full exegesis of this passage. It's It's been done many times before, and I imagine we'll do it at Christ's covenant, because it's it's our call to elders, and it's the responsibility of elders. We're going to we're going to vote on three new elders this evening. And those elders have been those elder candidates have been vetted and they've been held up to this standard. But I want to look at a bigger picture and that is why would Paul tell Titus to stay in Crete and appoint these church leaders? Well, he says, "Look, I want you to go and I want you to put in every town these elders." And as you look at the qualifications of the elder, especially in verse 8, they're supposed to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then it goes on and it says that they need to be able to know the Lord and the doctrines of the Lord. And they also need to be able to spot a counterfeit. Paul was saying, hey, Titus, God's doing something in Crete. 
And you know what? God's doing something here. He's doing something in Atlanta, and he's using us, and we're super grateful that he has chosen us to be a part of his work. And so what happens? Well, the the church, if you want to use the sheep example that Jesus did, the church is, is full of sheep, and those are the folks that are following the shepherd. But the shepherd has to watch out for the wolves. And so what Paul is telling Titus to do is, hey, in every town where you got a group of believers, put an elder over them. The elder is supposed to be a good, really, the picture here is a really good guy in Christ. He's kind, he's hospitable, he's wise, he's disciplined. Really, he's the kind of person that you'd want in your family, you'd want in your home, you'd want to spend time with. Because he knows the Lord, he's talking about the Lord, he's helping you take one more step towards the Lord, but he's also able to spot the wolves. And he's really protective over that church. And Crete was a place full of wolves. And that's the second movement in the passage. And so Paul says, hey, in every town, every place there's a group of believers, put an elder. And you know what? There's not actually a number given there. It's elders. So put as many as you need to put to watch over those folks. And not just to watch over them, but to shepherd them, to care for them, to help them take one step closer to the Lord. And And in every church, unfortunately, there's going to be an attack of Satan. And at some point in time, and I, you know, we may have been, my history here is very short, but I think we've been really protected from a lot of these wolves. Uh, But a lot of times, wolves going to creep into the church and wolves had crept into the church in Crete. And so let's take a look at this next movement, which starts in verse 10 and goes through verse 16. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That would be the Jewish folks who would proclaim now to to be completed Jews. They're following Jesus. They acknowledge him as Messiah. Um, But they're bringing into the church some doctrines that didn't need to be a part of the church. He says, they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And one of the, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myth and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. You may know this verse. It's a great verse. It's been used many times. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So let's just break this down. So he sets up these elders over the churches, these godly men who are going to help the church people take one more step closer to the Lord day by day. And they're also to look out for these wolves. And this whole thing is a passage on wolves, verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 16. And so some of these folks had crept into the church and you say, well, we don't have a lot of folks at Christ covenant that are empty talkers and deceivers and, uh, you know, upsetting whole families. That's right. And you know what? We thank the Lord for that. But that happens in a lot of churches. And, and you say, well, what, what would that look like today? Well, I think maybe a couple of examples of somebody who would come in and upset whole families in a modern, uh, especially Western context of church might be somebody who comes in and says, you know what? I bet I could gain some influence with these people. 
Maybe they don't have a lot of influence elsewhere. Maybe they come in and they say, oh, uh, you know, church folks, they're pretty easy to manipulate. Let me go in. Let me let me gain some power. Let me uh, let me let me let me go in and, and claim my little corner in this place. And uh, and that happens. That happens a lot of times. We see that we've seen that in churches over and over again all through history. And uh, other folks come in and they say, yeah, 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 what what the preacher said, what the pastor said, that's really good. That's really good. But if you really, if you really want to be godly, and then they begin to give you more rules, more things to follow, more practices. And we know from 1 John that uh, the commands of God are not burdensome. And so they heap all kinds of extra commands, which become burdensome. And Paul is telling Titus to instruct these elders, hey, you stop them. You stop them right there and you rebuke them, but it is a rebuke that is done in kindness. It is a merciful, sharp rebuke. And you see that where it says uh, in verse 13, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so one of the things that we hope as a church, if one of us uh, begins to go outside of the lines of, of Scripture and outside of God's plan, that yes, we would have the courage to confront, to talk to, to rebuke sharply, but with the hope that we bring the person back into the fold of the church. And so even in rebuke, there is a sense of the grace of the Lord with a true believer and a true leader in Christ. But, you know, Paul's interesting here because he, uh, he says to the pure, all things are pure. Uh, and then he goes on and he says to the impure, though, nothing is pure. Their minds and their consciences are defiled. And there's a reason that I'm belaboring all this a little bit before we get to the relational discipleship component, because I think it actually, uh, I think it actually really ties in with that component of relational discipleship. You see, Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure. But if you notice, he actually uses a quote from a guy who's a pagan. And so how can Paul say, hey, to the pure, all things are pure, and he is associating himself with a person who is pure, and yet handle a quote from a pagan? In fact, Paul likes this guy. His name is Epimenides. And Epimenides was a 6th century Cretan philosopher, uh, he has a lot of mythology around him. He's a really interesting character. Paul liked him a lot. He liked him so much that he turned two of his quotes into scripture. Now, we believe the Lord directed Paul to do that, but Paul liked this guy who was definitely impure a lot. You actually may know the other time that Paul quoted Epimenides because it's in Acts chapter 17. It's a famous verse where Paul is in the Areopagus. He is in Athens in the heart of Greece, and he is talking to the folks there saying, hey, I know you got this statue of this unknown God. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. And then he goes on to talk about this unknown God. And in describing the unknown God, he says in verse 28, in him, we live and move and have our being. And a lot of times when you see a verse that's set apart in scripture, like uh, Acts 17, 28, probably in your Bible, it's probably moved down. It's probably maybe italicized. It looks like a potential Old Testament quote. It's actually not. It's from the same little snippet that he used to say uh, in verse 12, one of their own Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So in him we live and move and have our being actually comes from the same line. Let me read it to you. 
This is uh, Epimide, Epimides uh, denying or fighting the, the Greeks who denied the immortality of Zeus. He said, they fashioned a tomb for thee, O holy and high one, the Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies, but thou art not dead. Thou livest and abidest forever, for in thee we live and move and have our being. So how can Paul handle things of the world and even work them into a sermon? He has to fill his mind with them to some extent and yet call himself pure. You see, we go back to the very beginning when I said, I think in 2021, we really want to see the world change. Well, Paul and Titus really wanted to see Crete change. The elders are Cretans and these wolves are Cretans. It's not like the church was made up of a whole different group of people. The church was made up of the people from the same alumni, the same dance academies, the same ball fields, the same neighborhoods, the same areas, the same groups the same folks that were in the world, the same folks that were the wolves. And Paul is saying, hey, as a believer, you can handle the things of the world a lot like those doctors and nurses in the COVID testing lines can handle COVID. They've got on the gloves. They've got on the full hazmat suit. They've got on the mask. They've got on the face shield. And they are pure. They are not contaminated by COVID, but they can walk right up to COVID and examine it right in the face. Paul is saying, hey, that's how we ought to be as a church, as believers. We ought to be able to walk right up to the world and be pure amongst the impurities of the world. But the rest of the world is like a COVID positive person, which I was a few weeks ago. The rest of the world, which is part of the hazing process of coming on staff here. Uh, But I think uh, a few weeks ago, it didn't matter if I had on gloves. It didn't matter if I had on a mask, if I had on a face shield. I was still impure inside and out because I had COVID. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, some of these folks are pure, are impure inside and out. They're just corrupted. But you, you, you can be pure through Christ, covered by the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. But also by this next section here, which is relational discipleship. One of the ways to keep the mask on, to keep the shield on, to keep the gloves on, to keep the COVID out, but to be in contact with all the impurities of the world and make a difference in the world is the way we as a church interact with each other. And that's the third movement in this passage. So let's take a look. He says, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine." Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Look, Crete was a really rough place. Uh, It's not any different than the world we live in today. Uh, Crete was a port town. It was a a, a little port country. And so you had a lot of the men who grew up uh, either being mercenaries 
They'd go out and battle for the highest bidder, or their fathers or grandfathers were mercenaries. Uh, they were licentious in their behavior. They were known for all kinds of, of deviance that took place. It was encouraged. It was, uh, it was cheered. It was part of being a man. It was part of being a woman. And so this church is trying to be a light in the middle of a really dark area. It's no different than us today. And so Paul says, hey, church, if you want the world to change, you be changed. And so I really believe, yes, the gospel saves us and it is the cornerstone, but it is relational discipleship that God uses as the vehicle to change us. I'll say that again. I believe the gospel is what saves us and it is the cornerstone, but it is relational discipleship that is the vehicle that God uses to change us. And so what you see in verses one and two, and then again in verse six is the call for the men. And you see in verses three, four, and five is the call to the women. And so here's what here's what it looks like. Uh, what you've got is you got you got Titus here, and he is supposed to reach down and train up other men that are going to be elders. And then these men are going to be looking to train up these younger men. And uh, and so you get this this process of hey Titus has taken a step or two further towards the Lord, and Paul has noticed this, and Paul says Titus you're in charge, and Titus says oh this guy right here he looks like the guy the guy that fits the qualifications in chapter one starting in verse five so this guy could be an elder so I'm going to pour into him this guy says oh man I see this young guy here and he is he has the gospel he's a believer but he's learning what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And so, yeah, let me help this guy. And you know what? The whole time they haven't left the impure place of Crete. They're right in the middle of it. And likewise, we go to the women. And Paul says of the women to Titus, he says, hey, look, I want you to teach. I want the older women. I want them to be dignified. I want them to be self-controlled. I want them to, to be ladies that, that have integrity. And, uh, and I want them to teach the younger women. And so what do they do? They go and they look and they find this, uh, this younger lady and they say, hey, you know what? You've got the gospel. Now you need the vehicle to help you learn to live in this corrupt culture. And that is, let me pour my life into you a little bit. Let me help you take one more step closer to the Lord. And so maybe this lady has uh, kids or maybe some younger, uh, some younger friends, and she pours into them. And so what we see is now maybe this lady says, boy, I'm meeting with so-and-so. And she says, oh, I'm meeting with so-and-so. Well, let's talk. So maybe these two older ladies talk. And maybe this lady says, oh, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm in uh, uh, being mentored, being discipled by this lady. Let me tell you what I'm learning. And the process just continues, and it grows, and it multiplies. And so we see the same thing with the men. You know, there's there's going to be multiple elders at some point, and these elders are going to be pouring into the, the next generation of leaders, and these guys are going to be pouring into the next, the, the generation two, two levels below. And so what you got is you got all these folks that are pouring into each other, and they're all helping people take one more step towards the Lord. And he says, older men, I want you to teach sound doctrine. I want them to be sober-minded. I want to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. Teach the young women to love their husbands and their children, uh, to be self-controlled, submissive, working at home. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, and tell the young, and likewise urge the young men, 
uh, to, to have self-control. And so what these guys are saying is, hey, here's what it looks like to know Jesus. And Paul says of those corrupt people, they're corrupt in their mind and their conscience. This is the reversal. Hey, Titus, you're going to have these guys renew their mind in the way they talk to each other, and their conscience is going to be pure by the way they show how they're living out their faith. And likewise, these ladies, their minds are going to become renewed by the way they talk about the Lord, and their consciences are going to be pure by the way they begin to live out their faith. So the word of God may not be reviled. Now, this is interesting. Who's going to revile the word of God? Well, if you look at that, that verb is in the third person. So he, she, it, they. I think that Paul is telling Titus, Titus, it's the people of Crete that are over here. I'll try to make angry eyes. There we go. All right, it's the people of Crete who are over here. They are looking at these people, and they're wondering, what's going on? We played on the same ball team together. We went to the same school together. We were in the same fraternity together and so on and so on and so on. What's going on? Do you think you're better than me? Why do you go to church so much? Why do you talk this the way you talk? Why are you so generous? Why are you so nice? Why, what's going on? I used to know you back when. And so they're looking and Paul says to Titus, Titus, if we do this right, if we pour in to upcoming believers and we share our life with them, we help them take one more step towards the Lord. These people are going to have nothing bad to say. And what do we want? We want Crete to be changed. And you know what? The next 20 verses, which is the whole rest of the book, is about how Crete can be changed if the believers will live out their lives with each other first correctly. When the church gets right, the culture changes. And we want the culture to change. And so when the church honors Jesus Christ and how we interact with each other and challenge each other and encourage each other and help each other take one more step towards the Lord, the culture is changed. That's the whole last part of the book of Titus. And that's our hope is that in 2021, the world will be changed, but it's not going to be changed on a march to Washington. It's not going to be changed. And if so-and-so gets elected or doesn't get elected, the world is going to be changed. And we have to just, we have to believe, we have to hold on to this because Everything around us says this is not true, but the Bible seems to teach over and over again, if the church lives rightly amongst each other in a corrupted world, that the rest of the world will be changed. And so what do they see? What do they see when they when they take a look at, at this relational discipleship? Well, they see new families. They see new ways of friendship. They see new dating habits. Uh, they see new generosity. They see new ways of disagreeing. They see new ways of discussing. But when I say the word discipleship, a lot of you might get a little nervous and you might check out. You might have already paused the video and now you've turned it back on and, uh, and it's three hours later. We're still here. Uh, and so... Look, when I say discipleship, just relax. All right, relax. Monday evening of this past week, Heather and I sat right over here in the collective with three young couples who are all super in love. They're serious, but they're not engaged yet. And you know what? For three hours, we talked to them. Jason and Paige FaceTimed in. It was like celebrities calling in. They loved it. Uh, and you know what? We just encouraged them. From a Christian perspective, on how to respect each other, how to talk with each other, how to fight with each other, and how to pursue marriage with one another, or how to end things if that's what needed to happen. And you know what that is? 
It's discipleship. Discipleship is not a program, but sometimes programs help. Discipleship is not necessarily a verse-by-verse Bible study, but the Bible is essential. Discipleship takes place in many shapes and forms, and you know what? We embrace that here. We have some structure with these cohorts coming up, but we also have table talk. So discipleship, is, is, it doesn't need to be nearly as scary as we think. But you know, going back to those wolves, verses 10 through 16 in chapter 1, I think the reason most people don't want to engage in discipleship is the same reason that those folks came in and corrupted the church. I think those folks in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, were all about themselves. In 2020, I heard the word me more than I've ever heard the word me. Why do my kids have to stay home and not go back to school? Why did I have to get COVID? Why do I have to wear a mask? Why do I need to do this? Why do... It was real easy for us to just be talking about me all the time. Those wolves in the church, they were all about themselves. And the reason most of us shy away from discipleship is because it's inconvenient for me. We, we couch it with niceties like, oh, I'm not quite there yet. How could I disciple somebody? Look, it doesn't take much to be walking with the Lord just to, and look around and say, you know what? I'm, a, I'm only a half step, but I'm a half step ahead of them in my walk with the Lord. Let me pour into them. If we want to be the church that truly represents Jesus Christ, we got to leave me in the rear view. And by the way, when we leave me in the rear view, it's like the old Henry Blackaby thing. Maybe you remember this. Uh, this, this changed my life when I was in college, but Henry Blackaby gave this diagram and I'll never forget it. He said, this is God and he is moving on with his plan. And it's not what's God's will for my life. It's, Hey, here's my life right here. And God has made me to fit in to his plan. And you know what? It's not until I jump into his plan that I become fully fulfilled, which is what I want when I, when I substitute his plan for a self-centered existence, but the self-centered existence never satisfied. So look, when, when it stops being what's God's will for my life and what's God's will, and then I jump into God's will and his plan, man, losing me is easy. And I realize how freeing it is to lose me. So let's lose ourselves. Let's jump in and let's begin to look around and say, maybe I'm here and I need this guy. Maybe I'm here and I need this guy. Maybe I'm here and I need to look for this guy and look for this guy. And the same with the ladies. Maybe I'm here. I need to find this older lady. And uh, maybe it's the older lady saying, I need to find this lady. And so on and so on and so on. And you know what? Hopefully what happens is the world eventually looks on the church and they look and they look and they look. And maybe eventually I had to Google what ha- what happy eyes were. Um and so happy eyes, happy eyes are maybe not black hearts, but they are today. All right. So maybe the world looks on and the world says, man, I think I, I like that. Okay, man, I love what I see when I see the church. And you know what they see when they see the church in the background, what they're really seeing is Christ. When they see relational discipleship lived out and they see a good thing, Behind that is the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And when they meet Jesus 
and they enter this process, and then their friends meet Jesus, and they enter this process, and their friends, and so on and so on, the world can't help but change. So, as we wrap up today, it's not an option. It's a command. And we're disobedient if we're following Jesus, and we're not discipling. The Shema, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. The Shema goes on just a little bit further, and it says, hey, here's a practical, easy way to begin discipling. When you wake up, talk about the Lord. When you lay down, talk about the Lord. When you're going about your business, talk about the Lord. When you're eating, talk about the Lord. As you move through today, begin to look around. I bet there's somebody right near you that the Lord's saying, this person needs to pour into you. You need to open yourself up. Or, hey, you need to pour into them. Let me pray for us. Lord, relational discipleship is beautiful. It's wonderful. And yet so many of us avoid it. But, Lord, it's the way the world is going to change. Because when they see us rightly living, they'll see you, Jesus. Father, I just ask that you would give us pastors, elders, leaders in the church the heart to love our church well, but also to look for the wolves and protect the church. And Lord, help the church to be a place where we reach up and we reach down to help each other take one more step closer to you. And as a result, Lord, may the Bible, may we see the Bible be true as the culture begins to change. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.